Welcome to the Geek Centric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for Andor. But I'll tell you this, if I could do it again, I'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards from the start. Fight the Empire! Welcome to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for Disney and Lucasfilms and or episodes 10 to 12, the finale. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general. So if you haven't watched these three episodes yet, and I mean, come on, we're, we're, running, we're a bit late with this one, so you really should have watched them. Uh, go watch them and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we start slapping people with bricks made out of Marva, let me introduce you to the other Rebels joining me today. He's the droid-dropping, helmet-popping, empire-stopping rebel spy who's always down to climb and get high. He's Darcy the Dank Ferric Hudson. Oh, I love the climb reference, too. So go. so fitting. I we gotta agree. have one, dude. Like, they said it how many yeah. times in this? Oh, like four times, I think. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and you just heard his voice. Joining us after the birth of his first Padawan, he's a rebel dad who's pretty rad, and he's always got a bad feeling about this. He's Justin the Lobot Lawrence. Viva la revolution! That's what I have yeah. to say, my friend. <laughs> You're training that rebel, that, that new little rebel in your household. You're training her pretty good so far, right? Oh, You're yes. training her up? Absolutely, yeah. bro. She's ready to fight? Yeah, man. She's going to be a fighter. Yeah. Uh, she is the spark that will ignite what we know to be the There you future. go. And her middle name is Ray, so whatever that means. <laughs> there you go. First podcast reveal of the middle name. Wow. Uh, and listen, as a special guest joining us finally, finally, in our fight against the Empire, she's mutinous, mysterious, and altogether seriously lovely. She's Mon Calamari Megan. Hey, hey. I'm back. <laughs> She's back. I mean, I was like, where did you? I, I thought you got lost in space. I don't know what I thought. Maybe you got sent to a prison to build some parts of a of, of something like what's going on. No, none, of none of that. None of that. But I have been good. fighting the good uh, also baby fight. <laughs> not mine. It's not mine. Not there you own. go. Thank you. for. <laughs> thanks. Let's let's make that clear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just Denise. She's great. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. But I'm sure she's. Just as much to handle as the Empire, if not more. In yeah. different ways, yes. In different <laughs> ways, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, listen, friends, before we dive into this Watch Club episode, I want to take a moment to ask kind of a, a silly question, uh, as we like to do. You know, on Ferrix, uh, the tradition, once you pass on, as I kind of mentioned earlier, is to turn you into a brick uh, mm. that's ceremoniously adding, you know, they add it to one of their buildings. Uh, so I want to know, Darcy, if you were on this show... What would you want to be made into? What would you want to be made into? <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought about that. I mean, <laughs> I've always, I, I think the, uh, the, it's always cool when, you know, trees are planted with the casket so the tree grows out of the, the body and stuff like that. Mm. I, I'd like to take it and make it more, I guess, personal and maybe say, you know, a couple of plants 
of the green variety, weed, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Hey. People smoke my essence and get high <laughs> with me in the afterlife. I think that'd be pretty good. That's beautiful. No, that's, that's actually in a in a. It's a really that's really beautiful. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah, you're, I, you're kind of, and I can see it. You're helping people at the same time. I mean, it's got to be a, a stressful movie. time. That's a movie, guys. In the, so right in the you, galaxy, it's got to be a movie. Yeah, oh. <laughs> let's do it. I think if we get, let's get Kevin Smith to do his first Star Wars movie, and that will be one of the plot points. <laughs> I think for it, I think that's a good idea. Uh, Megan, how about yourself? What would you be made into in, on, on Ferrix once you've passed on? Well, I had the same idea as Darcy. Maybe not of the that green variety. <laughs> <laughs> But I, yeah, I notice Ferrix is a little lacking on the plants, so I thought it'd be nice to be planted and planted. <laughs> <laughs> planted. Very much yeah, what yeah. would happen I when you die is you're planted in the ground. So it's like, yes. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you could be like a rebel who was planted in, you know, a secret environment in the empire, and then, then after you pass on, you're planted into the earth. That, yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I was going the same route as as Darcy. I figured, you know, <laughs> might as well be some sort of useful tool. Uh, so they smoked my essence as a weed and get high. Uh, the brick was a little useful. The brick is a great idea, which, uh, but it does it does really cement that you're dead. You know what I mean? When you're <laughs> oh, dad jokes. Dad he's jokes, a dad for dad how long? Jokes. It's only been like a couple episodes and he's already bringing out the dad jokes. Right, Get right. ready for that, listeners. Um, for me, I think I would want to be made into an instrument. You know, we see the the funeral involving some some jazz music, which I was looking a up. Musical and it, it, right. okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. A musical instrument. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A musical instrument. But I was, I was <laughs> looking up. Where was your head? <laughs> yeah. What kind of instruments are you talking about, hey, dude? From dad joke to really yeah, bad. Geez, oh, my gosh. All, all sorts of comedy. <laughs> all right, as I was saying, going back to the funeral that we're talking about, Justin, uh, I think I would want to be made into an instrument. I learned recently, though, and I mean, this kind of goes along with what Justin's saying. Apparently, jazz music in the Star Wars uh, universe is called uh, jizz. Uh, that's what jazz is called in Star Wars. <laughs> there you Wars. go. Then you so understand. I knew where you were funeral, going. Funeral that's why jizz. I was asking, yeah. what kind of instrument are you going to be? I would want to be an instrument for making funeral jizz. Uh, no, I would, <laughs> I would want to be an... We're already going off the rails. I would want to be a instrument and I could bring happiness and joy to people, you know, to the rest of the galaxy after I'm done. Put me into the lips of Figrin Dan from the Cantina Band and I'll be happy. <laughs> oh I think God. that's I think it's this a beautiful is, thing. This is this is so out out of We're left like field. Six minutes in guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if, if you've made it this far, listeners, you are in for a treat. Uh, why don't we just get to this episode before we discover that one of us can't swim? Uh, all right. So like last week, I did want to mention uh, we are going to be uh, kind of using some descriptions, uh, some modified descriptions that I've brought over from Lindsay. Special thanks to Lindsay at nerdsandbeyond.com. Uh, give her the click. Definitely check out. She does some amazing recaps of all things Star Wars. So definitely check out Lindsay on nerdsandbeyond.com. Let's start off with episode 10, One Way Out, directed by Toby Haynes. Uh, following Olaf's death, Cassian argues with Kino that the following day will be their uh, best chance to escape because the guards will be sending down a replacement for their unit. While Kino is hesitant, Cassian remains fiercely determined. When they return to their pods that evening, Kino looks haunted as Cassian tells the rest of the men the dark and disturbing secret they learned from the doctor. 
None of them are getting out of there alive. The next morning, Kino wakes up with a renewed sense of vigor, or vigor, I don't know why I had an accent, uh, and tells the men that they're done counting shifts. This is it. During a refresher break, Cassian finally manages to bust the water pipe that he's been steadily sewing away at. When the guards start to bring the new prisoner down to the, uh, down to the men, um, we see that the two men start to they pretend to fight, uh, and Cassian runs over to break, up, break the lift. Uh, the room erupts into chaos, and the men begin throwing parts from the tables at the guards. The guards try to activate the floor, but because it's flooded from the water pipe, the system is quickly fried. The prisoners take out the guards, climb out from the work floor, and steal weapons so they can begin to make their way through the building to gather the other units to fight. Meanwhile, the flooding from the water break begins to leak onto the level below. Kino and Cassian arrive at the command center, which is where all the announcements throughout the facility come from, and they commandeer the station. The prisoners take out the guards, uh, and then some of them are killed in the process. Before we continue, I just want to recognize the brutality of this moment. We're seeing characters that had actual speaking roles, you know, part of Cassian's crew, getting shot left and right without any moment to even think about losing them. I thought this was so, so well done. It was so sad, but it was so well done to show how merciless the empire is that they don't even like n- none of them matter to them whatsoever uh and i just i don't know i thought this was one of the darkest moments in star wars that i've seen recently yeah it feels like it's it's very much the state of the galaxy what which is what this entire series is kind of capturing is is that sort of live or die mentality and the empire ruling and it's clear that just as much as these prisoners are struggling to live and, and fight for their freedom so too are is are these members of the empire who are terrified yeah i think one of the like moments that actually sort of dug into my gut was when the floor did go hot while there was water on it and that one guy got electrocuted <sighs> and his feet like they just showed his feet i was like that's worse than showing his whole body like, you know, convulsed. Yeah. Seeing the way his feet were like bent and his toes were bent oh. the wrong way and he was just standing there, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool too because it shows how like unprepared the Empire is for people to fight back. Like mm-hmm. yeah, yes. these guards are so, so like out of, like overwhelmed so quickly with just this one room rioting. And I just, it goes to show that they they don't expect people to fight back against this fear and oppression. But when it does happen, they they really kind of lose their, their minds. And it's, it's awesome. It shows how, how, yeah, how proud they are that they just sort of look past any possible, like they're, nobody for a second. I think that's why they don't have handrails as well on any of their stations. Like, I think that's one of the reasons they're just like, <laughs> no one's going to fight in this room. We're all going to be perfectly organized. No one's going to ever challenge us. So we don't need to put handrails there for any reason <laughs> whatsoever. I think it's kind of the same idea. It even shows in that moment where, you know, um, Kino is doing his whole speech and they show all those guards in the room and the one guy's like, quiet. And they're like, huddling and like sweating and hiding from all these prisoners that they have been you know aggressive towards this whole time and now all of a sudden they're freaking out Mm -hmm. it's definitely shows the state of the empire's like power but unawareness i guess Mm -hmm. and i love that cassian says to one of them like on program like, you get on program this time. Like, that was, when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, tell him, tell him, Cassian. F that guy. Um, 
which I don't know how many F-bombs we're allowed to drop. I know we're going to drop at least one uh, a little bit later on in this episode. But um, listen, listen, the survivors climb. Uh, that's my that's my impression of K2SO. <laughs> they, they climb, climb, climb uh, out from the work floor and steal weapons so they can begin to make their way uh, through the building to gather the other units to fight. Uh, Kino and Cassian, uh, they commandeer the, the command station where Kino, uh, as you were saying, Megan, makes a rousing speech over the loudspeaker, encouraging all the other prisoners to escape as they chant, one way out. The remaining guards are outnumbered, so they simply hide while all the men make their way to the exit platform and dive into the water below. But sadly, Kino stays behind, shouting to Cassian that he can't swim, as we see Cassian is pushed by the other prisoners into the water as they all start swimming away from the facility. So, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, my question here, do, do you think in a poetic sense Kino knew the entire time when they were trying to escape that he would never be able to escape because they were surrounded by water? Do you think he knew that the whole time or do you think he didn't know? No, I think he just got caught up with everything, like the, the, the you know, clamor that was happening around him and this, you know, urge to fight back. He kind of got picked up and carried along, mm-hmm. maybe not really thinking about what how he's going to get off there because they all came there on a shuttle, but that left immediately. So, I mean, yeah, it was such a, such a, like a bittersweet moment where they're moments away from freedom and then he's stopped by such a trivial little thing, which is, it's ridiculous. I think we'll see him again though. Oh, for sure. We didn't yeah. see him die on screen, and that's kind of the rule in Star Wars. If you don't see them die, then, you know, they're, they're going to come back, hopefully. And I feel like it'd be a waste of, of such talent, because that character is so incredible. He was great. He was and so good. I'd love to see more of him. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. He, was, but also, he was so phenomenal. Do you think because it's Andy Circus, he's like, I'm good with one little stint, and then... It could be. It could be. <laughs> I, I, or, I, or, yeah. or does he eventually get turned into who he's supposed to be? No, Snoke, <laughs> right? Maybe he's not they they Snoke. pull him I back. Just... That's I'm thinking. Okay, I've got a whole theory. I'm gonna go for the next. What do we have? An hour? I'm gonna go for the next hour. Uh, no, oh my god! <laughs> I, 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 I think he's been he's gone on the record to say that the two don't associate. Correct. The fact that fans want to theorize about <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, I think I think he I think it's you're right, Meg. He he might just look at this as like a one off stint. He he's done his part and that's it. But I I think like. They could get him at least for an episode to cameo because it was such a surprise mm-hmm. and delight to have him in this show. And he really did, you know, captivate. Like, I think, you know, he was one of the best parts of this series. Which I think, like, honestly, him knowing is is incredibly sad. I think it's incredibly selfless of him to to push for all that and then to just kind of know that, you know, he was he was so there wasn't that many days left on his sentence. And <laughs> And then to find out that he's he wouldn't get out anyways, and then to find out that he's not getting out again, like it's just there was so much going through my mind of like this is so sad for this guy. But I think it would have been even more upsetting if he never knew that they were surrounded by water, because I mean he could have been brought in blindfolded for all we know, and maybe they just that never came up in conversation. I I don't know. I think the the impact that it would have on him would you know to have, to feel that freedom and then have it so unceremoniously taken away would be so devastating um and i'm just that to me fits with the theme of how the empire is treating these people so i don't know i i, I in my head canon i i don't think he did know that they were surrounded by water i don't know maybe, I don't know. maybe. yeah cuz they're not all necessarily brought in the same way like we right. saw but, cassian I mean, enter but 
Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but, you know, going through that hall between shifts, you see all those water gates open and flooding. I mean, do you? I'd be questioning oh. where that water's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive cooling operation. They even say it takes a lot of water to keep this place cool. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he thinks that they're in uh, they're in Niagara Falls. I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's get to Davos Skulden, uh, my friends. As promised, through much to Mon's displeasure, Tay sets up a meeting with Davos Skulden, which immediately starts off with a tense mood. Mon tells Davos that they're looking to explore alternative financing arrangements for their foundation. Davos doesn't charge a fee for his services, but rather he'd like to introduce his son to Mon's daughter. She immediately refuses and asks him, to leave. So why do you think Mon Mothma is so upset by Davos' offer? Well, I think we've already seen she wasn't really thrilled with the fact that her culture is all for the prearranged marriage and stuff like that. Like, yeah. She doesn't have the best relationship with her husband and, you know, I don't think she wants her... She might not have the best relationship with her daughter, but she probably still cares enough to not want to have to force her into such a situation, especially with the fa- uh, the family that she's being, you know, proposed to type thing. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. It's a weird topic for sure. Yeah. I, I think it has a lot to do with the mentality around not being able to choose your own destiny or your own path. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. very much what Mon Mothma's doing is fighting for people to choose their destiny. I think that just... It's it's an obvious sort of counter to her belief and something I don't think she appreciates from from her culture. It makes sense. And I think what she's very much trying to do is create a better future for her daughter. And, you know, that that's the most apparent, which is why I, I feel like she doesn't want to, you know, uh, tie her down to proposed marriage. But that's not stopping her daughter from wanting it because she obviously has a sense of pride for the traditions of her culture, which she respects and which is why she is very willing to. Uh, commit to a uh, proposed marriage. Right. And I think that's what terrifies her the most is that her daughter is just going to fall into a life that she herself feels trapped by, right? Like that that traditional, you know, arranged marriage. And I think seeing her daughter go through the same thing would be horrifying for her. But at the same time, like you're saying, Justin, like her daughter's totally into that stuff. And I think that's what's also upsetting her the most is that she's she's considering the fact that because her daughter is so into it that like, hey, this might actually work. And I think that sickens her to her core that like that like she thinks oh, this is this is actually going to be a way out, which sucks. Like and the the performance from Genevieve O'Reilly here, oh my gosh. Like the absolutely incredible. She's amazing. <laughs> incredible. Um yeah, I I I had I had a note here, it said holy Moly. Speaking of moles, let's get to this next section here. Uh, at the Imperial Security Bureau, they confirmed that Krieger's men took the bait after they killed the pilot. Lonnie suggests that they should show an interest in the, in the shipwreckage because that's what would be expected from them, and Partagaz agrees. Later, as Lonnie sneaks off, we realize that he's the moly moly mole uh, at the ISB, uh, and he's the person that left a message for Luthen and Clea about wanting to to meet. He steps into an elevator and puts in an earpiece through which Luthen begins to speak to him. Lonnie tells him about a new supervisor that's rising, 
Dedra Miro, uh, and he warns him that she's been looking into Aldani. Luthen plays it cool and acts like he had nothing to do with what happened there. Lonnie goes on to tell him about the rebel pilot, noting that the ISB is now aware of the planned raid on Spellhouse. Uh, however, Luthen ultimately isn't concerned about changing any plans because he'd rather sacrifice the men that potentially raise suspicion that Lonnie tipped them off in the first place. When Lonnie gets to the top of the elevator, Luthen is waiting for him, and he tells him that although he's been working his way up through the ISB for six years now, he realized he can't do this anymore now that he's a father. And as Lonnie tries to question uh, what exactly Luthen has given up in, in this fight, Luthen makes it clear just how much of his life he's dedicated to the cause. He's not going to let Lonnie leave the rebellion because they need all the help they can get in order to win the fight against the Empire. What an incredible speech by Luthen here. Who knew we would get so many soliloquies in the this speeches. in this series? Yeah. The speeches are the monologues. Crazy. Yeah. The the drops of of rich dialogue that just makes you think and yeah, this was this was one of my favorite moments from this series, I think. And I think it sheds such a ominous light around Luthen's character and and Around the rebellion in general, I think. Yeah. For sure. Right? Like, 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 dude, I wrote this down. Like, and what do you sacrifice? Calm, kindness, kinship, love. I, I, I've given up Jedi, all bro. chance at inner peace. <laughs> I've made my mind a sunless place. I share my dreams with ghosts. Like, are you writing like an like a emo band song? Like, what, <laughs> what is going on right now? Like, it sounds so good. That all sounds like a Jedi, man. Like, is he a Jedi? Mm. Like, I, I don't know. Like, this this is the scene where I was, like, wondering based on, on, on just, you know, things that were said. Even though his attire, the way he was dressed, you know what I mean? It was very Jedi-like with, with the... I mean... He, he has that. I, I think more Sith Lord, that reveal with the huh. elevator opening, and he's just standing on that Ooh. walkway. It's just like, ooh, it's that's dark. a bad guy if I've ever seen one. Yeah, exactly. And, like, but maybe that's the idea of trying to paint him as this gray... You know what I mean? Like he mm. he's cut himself off because he's maybe lost something from the Empire and he, that's why he's so committed to this cause. Like that would be a pillar reveal, right? If you know. I just feel like I feel like the Jedi care too much about life in general. Mm -hmm. Now, like you're saying, Justin, if he's like a defected Jedi, maybe that could work. Um, we love a gray Jedi. <clears throat> right? Yeah. We definitely love a gray <laughs> Jedi, as Soka stands. Um, but I don't I don't know. I feel like I feel like that I don't know if that would work. I think he needs to I think his character needs to represent the darkness that is in the rebellion. I think that's the whole point of Luthen Rail is that he's not he he is like exactly what the rebellion sort of starts as and then also becomes in maybe not the best way. Uh and that's you know obviously we're not at the the Mon Mothma, you know, leading the charge yet. Um I think we'll get there. But um, but yeah, man, freaking Stellar Skarsgård. I know I, I called him Stellar Skarsgård. Stellar Skarsgård. Because <laughs> he, he is stellar, dude. Stellar. He's, He's Stellar Skarsgård yeah. in my mind. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Let's get to episode 11, uh, titled Daughter of Ferex, directed by Benjamin Caron. Uh, <clears throat> after escaping the Imperial facility, which can we... Oh, sorry. Really quickly. Did anyone else notice visually what that Imperial facility looks like from the top? Did anyone see how it looks kind of it kind of looked like the imperial logo no it did, yeah. right? or is that just yeah. me me putting yeah. that on there no that's, <laughs> no that's what i was 
Yeah, Justin's like, obviously. Uh, no, no, uh, but also, <laughs> but like it, the hexagonal shapes that we'll see later, right? Oh, like, true. Okay. Mm, yeah. Kind of hinted at kind of... Like, at the, the <laughs> dish. So I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay. Yeah. I like it. The dish filled with fish. Is that what you just said? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> after escaping from the uh, dish filled with fish, Cassian and Melshi unfortunately still need to get off of Narkina 5. Still shoeless and donning their prison outfits, they find a small encampment with an old ship parked off to the side, but when they make a run for it, the two creatures there <laughs> easily catch them in a net. However, when they realize that they have a shared hatred for the Empire, the aliens are uh, angry that the prison has spoiled the water's planet. They surprisingly set Cassian and Melshi free and give them a ride to Niamos. Upon his return to the beach world, uh, Cassian sneaks back into the place where he was staying before, and he sees some two aliens all snuggled up on the bed, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, they they did it the night before. And, uh, (laughs) And then he goes into the bathroom where apparently... The maids at the Niamos uh, hotel that he stayed at are not tall enough uh, for whatever reason. Um, I think Darcy and I may, may have been joking that they were the the same ladies that work on the in episode <laughs> the eight. The caretakers. Yeah, the caretakers. caretakers the fish ladies. <laughs> Maybe they're the ones that are also, they're just caretakers all over the planet. So they just didn't, they're not tall enough. Anyways, he sneaks into the bathroom and he finds his hidden credits, his blasters, and of course, Nemec's, uh, Nemec's manifesto. Uh, okay, so... Let's talk of them. Like we got to talk about these two. These two boys. Finally, we get more space aliens with uh, with Dewey Pamular, uh, and he's got like the biggest. I don't know what those were. A ball sack or elongated breasts or something <laughs> hanging off of him. <laughs> his his brother Freedy. Uh, Darcy, the first time you and I watched this, uh, we could not understand a damn word they were saying. But that's me. <clears throat> yeah. So watching it with subtitles. It's fantastic. The way Dewey talks, you hear him ending his sentence. He's like, he's like, oh, he's like, hey, like, he's like, you know, he's like, no biggie dinner tonight. Hey, it's like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Anyways, I love him. I love how he calls Cassian and Malshi squigglies. Um, I just, I don't know. I like these two. I was really happy to see aliens in this show that could talk. (laughs) My biggest thing is, did anyone else get to the shore? I mean, we saw so many people swimming away and we just follow two of them. I'm very confused by that. But again, these two aliens, it's a breath of fresh air. Again, we've, Kevin has said for sure that not enough aliens in this Star Wars. And here we have two very prominent talking rule aliens. And it was just as you know out there as you can expect and with that weird spider webby net. It was kind of gross to watch them like stuck underneath that Yeah, crap. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, think it, I think to have alien characters, they did incorporate that but we see some you know alien creatures in in the background on on coruscant Mm -hmm. and other places but definitely not having prominent talking roles but i appreciated that like again it's it is focusing on the the people of the galaxy while understanding that that there are other species in and around uh the story that they're telling but i think it would be cool to see maybe even in the next season like a twi'lek um you know who who know the budget too it could be budget Yeah. But they could they can get away with it from a like a makeup standpoint. I really it's not that hard to make a Twi'lek. I see them all the time at conventions. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think that would be cool because I think the Twi'lek specifically, you know, as we know from you know the animated series, they're very much known for yes. their part in this overall sort of uh, fight against oh, yeah. the Empire. So I think it would be really cool to kind of see that happen. 
Well, I mean, we haven't even seen how the Mon Cala joined the fight, so I'm hoping that we get some of that in season two, and that'll be a very big alien presence. Mon Cala, Mari, Megan. Do you think we're going to get yeah. uh, Megan in the show, maybe? That would be pretty great. I'd love it. Yeah. Cast me. Uh, I also, um, really quickly, Dewey, uh, who's his friend, um, not the one with the big boobies, but Dewey says, he says, scob the empire, which... You know, we now have the word shit confirmed uh, in as canon in Star Wars for the first time. This series gave us that. Uh, we had dank ferric, and now we have a new swear word added to the Star Wars canon of scob. Scob you. Scob all of you. Okay? <laughs> scob all of you. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's keep going here. Back on Ferrex, Marva. Uh, listen, we're going to bring the mood down. Marva has sadly passed away. Uh, the town and especially B2 Emo uh, all mourn her as they prepare for her funeral. Uh, the Imperial officers stationed there contact Daedra, who encourages them to allow the people to have a permit to close Rick's Road for the funeral. She believes they can use this to their advantage. And I want to stop right there. B2, my heart I B2 was so sad and the way he doesn't understand like a little kid and the way they have him watching taking the body away this was like this was Wally level of performances from a droid I would never <laughs> thought in a million years that we would get a performance like this from a droid in Star Wars and he doesn't even like say like he doesn't he doesn't have a face like he doesn't have yeah. a face and and yet I was still like I was tearing up watching this little guy I I I completely agree with you. I think he was written as a character that would have been a kid. Um, and then they just put it in a robot. And because it, it he had such a human presence in, in, the, in the entire series. And here is where he really gets to shine, as, as, as you said, on that, that Wally level of really giving you emotion. And huge shout out to Dave Chapman, who voices B2 Emo, mm. because it's not easy, I'm sure, to, number one, voice a droid, but two voice a droid still sound like a droid and add that much emotion to what you're mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. Like you can mm -hmm. feel the difference between him and like, um, what's that little one in episode nine that's on oh. like a... Yeah, Dio. He goes Dio. happy yeah. or sad. Yeah, Dio. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, that's just like a voice and you get it, but it's I mean, that's J.J. Abrams' voice, so, you know. <laughs> that's J.J. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 he's not, he's not a voice yeah. actor, it's fair. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, Dave Chapman does a really incredible job because absolutely. I could have cried every yeah. single moment. And, I, and I think I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the emotion that he's able to bring to the voice, which I appreciate versus the multitude of other droids that are featured as sort of a little cutesy robot that doesn't have very much dialogue. He was integral. He was super integral. And they, they proved that throughout the series. Now, do you think, can I ask you this question? Because I honestly, I tried rewatching this scene and I, I had so many tears in my eyes that I couldn't quite tell. Is is at the beginning, the very opening where it kind of like shows like almost like a watery look. Is he crying? Like, is that water in his lens that's like draining out or something? Because that's what it made it kind of look like. I don't know. I I, I it, think that was I gotta rewatch it. I think that was a lighting. It was a lighting thing. thing? I was gonna yeah. say. I think it was like a you know he hadn't he hadn't popped his eye out because he was so sad for so long that it was like a flare that there's too much bright light. Oh, okay. That kind of thing, which okay. added to like the faded voices in the background as well while they were yeah. talking about Marva. Oh, oh. So All right, let's, let's move on here. Elsewhere, the Empire continues to hold Bix hostage, showing her an image of Anto Krieger, uh, and they ask if he's the man she introduced to Cassie Nandor. 
Val arrives at Luthen's shop and demands that Clea uh, tell her where Luthen is because she has information for him. Clea says she'll pass the message on about Marva's death. Okay, pausing here for a moment uh, because there's quite a bit of beef between Clea and Vel, almost as if they're like in competition with each other. Why do you think they're so hostile to each other? Clea seems like she's she's buttoned up. She's she likes to, she likes things organized and and controlled and 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 under a pin that she can control and i think there's too many variables that have happened throughout this season that have kind of unhinged everything and i think val is is very much she sees her as as being that the reason why that that's happened plus cassie and and these these people that luthan's working with right because she's very angry at luthan too as we've Mm. seen right she's kind of frustrated and annoyed with his his tactic he's he's losing it as as she said to Mm -hmm. him right well, I think it's because like Vel seems to be very much emotional. She's letting a lot of her emotions, you know, kind of drive her actions in the series, and that clearly doesn't fly by Clea's rules. Because even Luthen, to some extent, is starting to follow his own, his own kind of will. Because he's like, this yeah. needs to happen, and maybe it's because he's they're getting too emotional. Like, no, you, emotions have no part in what we're trying to do in, in starting this rebellion. So I feel like that's definitely the basis of that beef. Yeah, I think it. I think it kind of goes to show like how different their approach is. You know, between each other, like you're saying, like, like we hear Val say, I gave him Aldani. Like, I gave it to him. I gave him Aldani like it's a gift that she mm-hmm. was able to give to, like, her dad for Christmas. Like, it was it was it was kind of a weird thing to hear. And then, you know, I think it follows along more the lines of, like, the extremist approach. But then Clea comes back and says, you gave him Aldani. Well, I'm actually the one running things she says i don't have lately i have always i have a constant blur of plates spinning and knives on the floor with needy panicked faces at the window of which you are but one of many like dude the writing in this show is so freaking good that 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 this is like literally like a a minute and a half scene and we still get that that level of beautiful writing i cannot believe it it's so great that they've given every character a moment to, to show their intentions, to prove yeah. who they are in this story. And and everyone's getting that moment. And it's great because you really, again, start to really connect with them and, and feel for, for where they're at. Yeah. Um, okay, let's keep going here. Afterward, Vel stops to see uh, her cousin again, and Mon finally tells her exactly what kind of trouble she's gotten herself into. Last year, Mon was pulling 100,000 credits from the family trust without a trace. However, a few months ago, a banker from back home warned her that Imperial inspectors might be taking a closer look at Chandrillan accounts. She ended up with one empty ledger at the end of the line uh, that was off balance. After Aldani... Everything was suddenly frozen, and now Mon is still missing 400,000 credits. Davos Skaldin's offer may be her only choice. So let's talk about Lita and just how eerie it is that she's almost she's almost rebelling opposite to what we would, you know, most kids. Like where she's practicing the more traditional Shindrillin ways, like the old ways. She, <laughs> yeah. They keep chanting the old ways. Yeah. Uh, and like the first time I watched this scene... It didn't really click in for me, but then watching it again, it's terrible to realize what's sort of happening with with Lita. Like, I think what I find really upsetting is like the old ways seem to be eerily similar to the kind of the misogynistic ideals that we see paralleled, unfortunately, 
today with with rights being taken away and you hear in their chants they say things like safe in the knot in the binding or bound against the wind tied to the shore tethered in permanence like the idea that because the empire is 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 like it's all of a sudden there's a trend now going around to live that sort of life is terrifying that's like it's this level of of sort of culture building that like I just had no idea to expect from this show and it's almost as though Alita was thinking well if this is what you know if this is if 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 the world was more like the old ways maybe my mother would have never become a senator and maybe she would have had more time for me and that's so freaking sad to to see this character go so through you think this and that's that's, you know that's what interesting I mean? so you think you think Mon's daughter kind of like holds it against her that she went for a political career because Absolutely. it sacrificed her relationship. That's interesting. Yeah, it goes back to what we were saying. Like Mon wants her daughter to choose her own destiny. Do you know what I mean? And and be the writer of her path that isn't tied to to being, you know, sent off with in some sort of marriage and tied in, in some sort of bound that doesn't really mean anything, right? Like you said, watching for her to watch her daughter go through that, that's gonna be painful for her so it's it's really interesting to see because i think this is very reflective of like common relationships that kids will have with parents and, and vice versa it's just captured in a in a galaxy it's just far the, far away it's, but it's also <laughs> just in such a like an ass backwards way right because normally 100%, we would yeah. be seeing kids being like i'm going out mom i'm wearing what i want to wear mom but here she's like i'm buttoning up mom i'm i'm you know i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm reading I'm, my book mom. i'm reading my bible <laughs> mom the rules mom. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Honestly, so weird. And I'm just like, why does she love Vel so much? Because that was what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. It's a very odd relationship there because Vel seems so against the old ways and she still isn't married at this point. Like, there's so much about her character that normally these, these you know, straight laced Chandrillans would probably have an issue with. And here she is, like, an almost an idol to her niece, which, again, very confusing for me. That happens, though, with, like, distant relatives that you don't see very often, mm. that they show up and they're, like, super cool, but they're only there for, like, five minutes. So, so you, you don't really only get to know wish, them. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. wish to see that amazing, iconic person, but you don't really know anything about them. Mm. I think yeah. that's sort of what Val is to her. Interesting. Like, she's, like, the rock star aunt. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. We all have that, one. That Little does, does Lena yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but the re- the reality is is that maybe that that's also part of how, as you were mentioning, Nate, she's kind of retaliating against her mother. You know, she's what I mean? almost like, in a way trying to make her jealous. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Like you know what I mean? Like because because you know Deep. you're right. Val Val's trying to make it seem like she is of of the way of her mm-hmm. of her people, but she's obviously not. And I got to shout out the performance from Faye Marseille in this scene as Val because you see like there's been multiple times in this show where act where the, the actors will just act with their face and not with dialogue and it's so impressive to me there's there's a moment where you see her face she's realizing that she's the reason that Mon has let her daughter fall into this arranged marriage it's because she needs money now because of what happened on Aldani and yes. Val's very much like oh shit like I did that like that was me and so you get that juxtaposition of the scene where just before where she's like, she's so proud. Like, I gave him Aldani. And then here she's like, oh, shit, I caused Aldani, which is causing my daughter or my niece to go through this. I'm just like, it's just nuts. The the amount of, of culture and society that they're sort of building in this series is just so compelling. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's especially this particular scene. 
I'm one of the Star Wars fans that's not super into politics. And there's a huge chunk of that in Star Wars. So I found myself in some of these scenes, I'll be honest, sort of zoning out because Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really understand what the conversation was about. They say the same thing over and over again. In this scene... Mon Mothma is saying the same thing over and over again that she has no credits and this, all this stuff happened and it's because of her and blah, blah, blah. I was so in tune to Val's reaction throughout yeah. the entire scene that I didn't really even listen to Mon Mothma. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh my God, look at her just emoting and performing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so it was really impressive, yeah. She's come a long way from, uh, from Game of Thrones. Uh, as the and Doctor Who, uh, oh, and Doctor Who, wow! <laughs> um, all right, let's let's get to this next section here. Uh, Cyril's mother wakes him up in the middle of the night, and uh, as Moss calls in to let him know that Marva has died and that Cassian may be at the funeral, uh, and they break up like a bad FaceTime call. Uh, Luthen pays <laughs> another visit to Saw Gerrera, who finally has decided that he'll participate in the raid on Spellhouse. However, Luthen tells him that it's too late and that now the ISB is aware of Krieger's plan. Saw realizes the plan to sacrifice Krieger and his men which causes them to argue and then Luthen pulls a blaster on him but Saw eventually relents and agrees that the decision is indeed being made for the and I'm using quotes here the greater good Uh, afterward once he's back on his ship Clea reaches out to Luthen and tells him to come home they discreetly discuss business uh, but they uh, but they lose connection when when an imperial patrol ship comes up behind him this is the scene we all want to talk about this episode Uh, Mm -hmm. Luthen provides them with fake identity identification, but rather than letting him go, the Imperials activate their tractor beam and begin pulling his ship in. Luthen tries to escape, but his hallcraft isn't strong enough to escape the pull from the tractor beam. However, he manages to shoot the beacon and destroy it, narrowly avoiding a TIE fighter uh, pursuit and launching into hyperspace before they can catch him. Let's talk about this moment. How freaking cool was it with the destruction of the tractor beam? And freaking like lightsabers coming out of the side Dude, of the ship. I'm gonna say it. He's a Jedi. What? I'm telling you. He's a, he's a Jedi. He's just because he's got you. so many kyber crystals. He's just holding on to a million kyber crystals. He's got crystals. the kyber crystal. He's got the yeah. kyber crystal. That piloting tactic, the way to evaluate that situation and understand Unreal. that that is that is a force user if I've ever seen like Maybe. that was the thing that kind of almost sealed it for me. And especially this this lightsaber technique that like it's interesting that it was red because I didn't They're think red. that he was, he, was, he's, he was a bad guy, but Darcy <laughs> did say it. I mean, all rebel, you know, gunfire and stuff is red and the bad guys have green stuff. So it doesn't, it's only lightsabers that fall into the yeah, yeah. the red and green true, category. True. You know, this is, this, if anything, solidified the fact that if I was in this universe and I needed a ship that would fly under the radar, go to Corellia because now <laughs> we have the Falcon and yeah, the, yeah. whatever his ship is called, yeah. Luthan ship. And like, it's incredible. I also want the ship in Lego, but with this being a, a more adult, Tone series. Will I get me a Star Wars? Oh, you know, you will. Because I think a Lego Star. I'd love to have it. I mean, this this ship is incredible. Every time I see it, I want to know more about it, and it's so it's good. Like transforming so, at times. So yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no. Like he must have had. He must have a, a collection of kyber crystals to do that. But I think my favorite aspect about this. I mean, the description doesn't really do it justice here. Sorry, um, Lindsay. <laughs> but I will say <laughs> this moment where. 
he he's not trying to escape their tractor beam. He's trying to make the tractor beam pull in stronger so that yeah. when he releases all that junk or whatever it is that the, comes out of the, the flat exactly. cannons or whatever. Dude, yeah. and it just completely like, just slices through it. I was like, this is on the level for me as a Star Wars fan in terms of ship on ship combat as what happened in episode eight with the light speed slice Ooh. thing, like that the Haldo maneuver. Yeah. Like this is on that level of yeah. ship on ship combat moments where I was just like, yeah. That's awesome. That is so yeah, cool. Or, so or you know what? It, it's so up good. there with me with in Rogue One when they use the hammerheads to to smash into the the side of the the thing. And mm. dude, so yeah. freaking good. The oh. way it like disintegrated too. Yes. Yeah. It was the like it was, CGI yeah. effects were. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and and that chase scene and just the the whipping around and the way they filmed like almost the choreography of the ships as they moved and then how you know those those lasers shoot out the side and <laughs> just like he does a spin i was like i was like whoa like i i literally had my hands up because it was it was a cool little moment to experience that proves what this show is 100 percent trying to prove is you know you can have compelling elements to to a tv series that still feel cinematic in its experience mm-hmm. and it totally it totally did yeah, absolutely. And I th- it, this is like our only moment in space, no? We're like barely ever in space. Pretty in much. Show. It's always mm-hmm. yeah. on some sort of planet. Um, but also his like cool demeanor throughout the entire oh, yeah. scene. Oh, he had He that doesn't shit do under. any like yeah. looking around or he was like, I got <laughs> He's this. a cucumber. He's a cucumber. <laughs> He's a cucumber. Absolutely. Someone should Photoshop that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he just got like a bunch of fans around him. He's cool as a cucumber. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's get to a somber call on Ferex. Cassian reaches out to Zan on Ferex and asks him to get a message to Marva for him. He wants to tell her that he's okay and he's thinking about her, and uh, he'll be back soon. Unfortunately, Zan tells him that she's passed away. Afterward, as they look out at the planet's vast sea, Melshi wonders how many of the other prisoners made it out of life, like Darcy was wondering earlier. Uh, What if they're the only ones who survived? He decides that they need to split up to double their chances because they have to spread word uh, and warn the rest of the galaxy about the true horrors of the Empire. Uh, And they also have to split up because we need like a triumphant return moment with Melshi in the future season, obviously. Um, So not much to say here before we move on to the finale, but I did want to just call out the cinematography in the way that they shot this final moment Mm -hmm. with Cassian looking out the water. I think it's an incredible visual I guess he would call it a callback call to to yeah. Rogue One, like George Lucas. You know the thing he's like, it's it's like poetry or whatever he says. Um, <laughs> but it's just the 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 fact that like the lowest moments of his life, and 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 I guess yeah. well, no, I guess he would say for Rogue One, like the highest moment of his life because he's achieved his goal. It's just insane that like we get to sort of see those parallels. Mm. Kudos to whoever had the idea to end on that shot in that moment because it was just beautiful. Yeah. I really loved that, you know, they did acknowledge kind of like the situation at hand that was happening in that that prison and what it really means for for, you know, the galaxy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the idea that it it's kind of sparked something in them to dig deeper and, and figure out what what's going on in these facilities and, and why are why is the Empire doing it? it which makes sense for where they're going to end up in, you know, by the end of season two. Listen, let's let's get to the finale for this first season of Andor, episode 12, Rick's Road, directed by Benjamin Caron. Uh, Dedra, Luthen, Vel, Sinta, and Cyril 
uh, are all on Ferrix, each of them keeping their eyes peeled for Cassian. While Luthen, Vel, and Cinta all want him dead because he's a liability to the rebels, Cyril seeks out revenge, and Daedra plans to take him in for questioning. Cinta is initially concerned that they will need their, to get their hands on Cassian before the Imperial Security Bureau uh, takes him in for questioning, but then Luthen assures Vel that it's fine. They can let the ISB do the hunting for them, and then they'll know exactly where to find Cassian in order to kill him once he's in their custody. It's crazy to me how these characters we've been following this entire time all are like out to kill Cassian for, for, the, for the greater good. You know what I mean? Like, like, do you th- do you think in this moment, Luthen actually does want to kill Cassian? I think it's a loose end he's trying to tie up. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. He's he he does want to tie off a loose end, but they all do, right? Like, what's really great is that we have seen Cassian sort of affect all these characters that are are in Ferrix for Cassian. Like, it's it's a really mm-hmm. interesting sort of. Poetic ending finale setup where you have all these different people that Andor matters to, and they're all in this this one spot to get him, and they all know the opportunity at hand with with Marva's funeral. So, I thought it was a really great way to show how, in some way or another, he has interacted with all those people, and it reminds you of the stories that you've seen throughout the rest of the 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 season and why they're all there. It it was just a really great way to tie it all up. And it's great, I think, that they've they started on Ferrix and they're ending on Ferrix. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we've exactly. gone to Coruscant, we've gone to Aldani, gone to the you know, Niamos and all these other places, but then to kind of start and end there, you know, I love a good. We love good, a bookend. Good bookend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You love a good bookend. <laughs> you love. But you got to remember. <laughs> you got to remember. This is where it all starts, right? That's it. That's that's what we're getting at. That's it. This is the spark. That mm-hmm. whatever the lights, the fire. Um, <laughs> all right, let's keep going here. Taking advantage of the fact that she knows her driver is a spy, Mon Mothma puts a plan into action when Perrin slides into the back of their transport. After asking Cloris for privacy, uh, which she knows is a big lie, uh, she begins to accuse Perrin of gambling again. Uh, though he denies it, she goes on telling him that if he's going to do so, he should go to Canto Bight to do it. Uh, he shouldn't be gambling on Coruscant, uh, which is like, yay, Canto Bight, yay, everyone's <laughs> favorite part of Star Wars ever, woo. Uh, later, Cloris reports this conversation to Blevin, who surmises that this could indeed explain the family's recent odd banking moves, thus giving Mon the coverage that she needs for the missing money. Blevin is then pulled from the room to hear about the successful uh, obstruction uh, of the raid on Spellhouse. Daedra is angry when Partagaz tells her there were no prisoners taken alive she says like well we can't ask a body any questions uh in the last uh in the last we see of mon in this chapter her daughter leda is introduced to davos skaldin's son after all and i know i'm kind of going a little bit out of order there but i just wanted to sort of tie up the mon mothma section of the episode um so they've made the decision to go along with this arranged marriage uh situation what do you think this means for mon mothma and her family going forward and do you think she loses her family before the end of this series. Yeah, I think she's she's kind of doing what <laughs> yeah. Luthen's doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I think what we've been watching is Luthen sort of slowly unravel and dig deeper because there's better opportunities, and they know he knows that they're close. And I think she's afraid that she's losing control, but she has to go this route. Like, it's the only way if they really are going to make a difference and influence it. So, yeah, like I think she she feels like she's losing a bit of herself, and I think in the end 
that's going to result in her losing her family. We know where she's going to end up. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds. Totally. It's almost like welcome to the rebellion. <laughs> Get ready yeah. to lose every single person that you oh. love. Yeah, to gain <laughs> to gain what like what's, you know, what will hopefully be a better future, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Star Wars. I think that's something that like Mon Mothma's willing to do. She hates it, but she thinks as long as I stay on the path I'm on, my daughter will have a better future no matter what. So mm. Interesting. See, I, I think it's going to get, definitely it's going to get worse before it gets any better. I think it would well, be really <laughs> sad if her daughter died because of the decisions made for the, the greater good. No. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I think it could yeah. be really sad. But I think, I think they're, the way they're setting it up could be even worse, which is that her daughter and, and Perrin are very much alive by the time of Rogue One, but they're so estranged that her daughter has just doubled down on her commitment to the old ways uh, and maybe even at that point to the Empire. I think it would be mm-hmm. nuts well, if they just made them into full-on enemies of Mon Mothma. Well, well, I mean, I, first off, I, I find myself feeling sorry for Perrin in this because she, like, Mon Moth is just using it as an out to kind of, <laughs> you know, give herself a little wiggle room to make these shady deals and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think what what's going to happen is, again, the daughter is the one to be worried about because she's already been around kind of snooping on some of these, you know, kind of private meetings that her mom's been having. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's the one. She's the one, yeah. Kind of ratting on her to the Empire and that's what drives Mon to the Rebel and Rebel Alliance and like really being the face of that. So, again, it's it's this, you never thought that you'd care so much for this like political family and this, the struggles it would have, but this, this series has but been it, so good at telling the story that I'm so engaged. Yeah, this is where the show really kind of feels very House of Cards. You know, it has a political through point mm. that, you know, again, it's like, who can you trust? Who, you know, who's who's mm. the bad guy? Who's who's going to who's going to rat you out? And I I totally get you. I, I was waiting to get to predictions, but I'm just going to say it here. I totally think that the, the uh, uh, Mon Mothma's daughter is going to be the one that's going to kind of speak a little bit more about stuff that's going to raise some eyebrows uh, from the ISB and kind of draw some attention. So. Yeah, she is going to be part of, I think, the downfall for Mon Mothma, and that's gonna that's gonna make her realize she can't trust her daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love I love that uh, sentiment. I love that prediction. That you know, obviously, a lot of uh, Bothans previous in previous episodes when I predicted that <laughs> died uh, to give us that prediction. So I definitely agree with you guys. Let's keep going here. <laughs> Nobody's surprised. Cassian does indeed make his fated return to Ferex late in the night, at which point we see a touching memory of him as a child with Clem, where Clem's got some like rusted parts. And he's like, look, nobody looks at the rusted parts and you clean them. and It's really lovely. Uh, Cassian runs into Pegla, um, which, by the way, did you guys realize that Pegla is Jamie Tart's dad in this show? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I know. I was like, what? Crazy. I didn't notice it until the March, which we're going to get to <laughs> later on. But yeah, I was like, wait, that's Jamie Tart's dad this entire time. And obviously, he's such a different character in this show than he is in I Ted, love Lasso. Ted Lasso. Characters. Um, but just give me all the Ted Lasso characters. <laughs> yes. all, all of them. All of, if we get Goldstein, what's his name? Goldstein? Anyways. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> so Cassian runs into Pegla and he's baffled to learn that they're selling the shop. And he asks where Bix is. Uh, and later, he sits listening to ne- Nemec's manifesto. Let's take another moment here. Nemec's manifesto. Holy crap. Again. Like, 
the speeches, the speeches. How can they do this? I don't understand. <laughs> can they release Nemec's manifesto in a printed form? Please, Lucasfilm. I want in the future for when our whole species is gone, for some species to find that script and just be like, wow, these beings that lived here before were amazing. <laughs> that right? Incredible. <laughs> like, I cannot, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, the I, other I, night I read the whole thing to, to Justin and he just, yeah, he was in I was, tears. I was worried that you were going to do it here. Just <laughs> no, for, I won't for do time it. Because <laughs> I appreciate that you didn't. Um, but I love that it, it really does set up the foreshadow of what we would see later. It, it really does, you know, kind of help set up what is going to be the start of of all of this. Uh, of the rebellion and what that looks like. And it was great to hear those words and to understand what he was speaking of and then to see that later in what we would see at the towards the end of the episode. It, it creates that uh, connective through point or, or a bookend uh, maybe uh, to the idea of, of what they're fighting for. Yeah. I mean, I think it was uh, worth the payoff of waiting or like worth the wait, basically, because since we heard him or heard about this manifesto, I've kind of been waiting to see what he's going to say. And then this paired with Marv's speech later on are just two incredible moments of this finale and, and like stand out like you can see how their words shape the rebellion going forward. Like you said, like it's this is the core and almost the, the light side of the rebellion that we're used to and not so much the dark side for sure. We're seeing through Luthen and Saw Gerrera. So it's to see so many different layers to the rebellion in such a short time with this series is incredible. Yeah, like, give me more. I can't wait for season two. Yeah, because what he's talking about in that manifesto manifests itself in Ferris mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's manifesto it, the way they yeah, exactly. I like you know it. It's it's, it's so well written. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's poetry. It's yeah. Just get George Lucas on the podcast already, okay? We were saying in the other episodes that like this is George Lucas's favorite show. Undoubtedly, mm-hmm. it has, it has to, be. to be. It has to be. Like he loves politics. Um. <laughs> anyways, let's let's keep going here. Cassian meets up with Brasso in secret, uh, and though he's upset and full of regret because he was fighting with Marva the last time he saw her. Brasso shares a moving message with, uh, from Marva with him. Uh, and it was, I, I'm going to quickly read this one. He, he, he says, Tell him none of this was his fault. It was already burning. He was just the first spark of the fire. Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. And when the day comes that those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. And like that one line. Oof. (laughs) I rewound that like four times. Right? Just the last tell him I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. I was like. Like, I want a tattoo oh of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's beautiful. You should get that right on your back, your just, lower yeah. back. Lower back, 100%, <laughs> with a picture of Marva. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But, I mean, even Cassie in this scene, too, you just see the emotions as he's hearing her, like, final words to him. And the fact that he, you got to think, he's clearly realizing that none of this would have happened if he didn't go away with Luthen. Like, yeah. he could still, he'd still be next to Marva. She wouldn't be fighting this rebellion because of, like, just one small decision he made and how how much has affected everyone he knows. You can clearly see the regret in his face during this one but scene. And yeah. Again, so so powerful. So. Yeah, it, he, it, like you said, Nate, the facial acting in this series is top-notch. And oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. like Diego Luna did a, an amazing job in these moments mm-hmm. to can sort of convey the emotion without saying anything. And, yeah, like you got to think, like he started this all f- looking for his sister, I guess. Sister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he killed two ISB <laughs> Uh, agents yeah. and like this is what's manifested 
You know what I mean? It was just security the, guards, wasn't it? Yeah, essentially, like cops. You know, <laughs> they local were human cops. beings, Megan. Jeez. I they know. were. <laughs> but they were. They were. To they all were the essentially... security guards listening to this on their night shift, I'm so sorry for Megan's comments. They do not reflect those of the Greater Geek Century. <laughs> <laughs> and those affiliated. Uh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Go on, Justin. To think where it started and where we're at. Do you know it's what crazy. I mean? And yeah. like Darcy's saying, I think he has regret understanding that he kind of brought this on himself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's so many bookends. Oh, just bookends. <laughs> just so many. I love I love bookends. Maybe that's what I get turned into is the end of a book. A bookend. Or a bookend or whatever those are. Those book on a bookshelf. Yeah, you definitely those... wouldn't be the opening. You'd be the you'd be the <laughs> end. <laughs> All right, let's keep let's keep going here. Uh, despite the specific measures that the Empire has put in place for the funeral, which includes a restriction on the amount of attendees, the town has other plans, clearly. As the anvil begins to clang from high above, uh, a marching band plays a poignant tune as they march through the streets, which are filled with an array of onlookers. A crowd follows behind, and Tigo is furious that so many people are in attendance. He demands that the troopers disperse the crowd and set a strict perimeter. Cassian watches this unfold from a discreet hiding, pl- hiding spot, uh, and he also notices that Luthen is there. Bix, who has seen far better days, uh, listens to the music from the room that she is imprisoned in. The crowd watches as Brasso carries Marva's stone, and uh, and then B2 Emo rolls over and projects a hologram that Marva recorded for Ferrix before she passed. The message is less of a sad goodbye and more of a deeply inspiring sentiment to rally the people of Ferrix to do what they were meant to do, what the whole galaxy must do if they want to escape from the clutches of the Empire for good rebel and uh i i i'm gonna quickly just i'm gonna read this speech just so we can get hyped one more time i'm sorry that i'm reading so much justin's very upset Um, (laughs) i've been turning away from the truth i wanted not to face there is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy there's a darkness reaching like rust again come you know come back to the rust moment uh rust into everything around us we let it grow and now it's here it's here and it's not visiting anymore it wants to stay the empire is a disease that thrives in darkness it is never more alive than when we sleep it's easy for the dead to tell you to fight and maybe it's true maybe fighting is useless perhaps it's too late but i'll tell you this if i could do it again i'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards from the start fight the empire and again another speech like it's just the show could just be called speeches and i would watch it um but uh but what did you guys think of marva's speech here at her funeral i love that she says bastards let's like throw and in that, that accent into too? the swear words like <laughs> bastards like it was oh so good. she was oh, she's apparently good. like mm-hmm. she apparently said fuck the empire that was where i was right? gonna get at and, earlier yeah and they, they you can they zoom in on her mouth allow it, it so yeah they 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 apparently they just made it look like a glitch and they re-recorded <gasps> the line and you know fight the empire rather than fuck the right. empire so yeah, um, that's badass <laughs> yeah let's go i, I, I do agree though I, I i think that that was smarter not to put it in because it would have just felt very out of out of place right uh, yeah i feel like it sure it would have been a great like whoa fuck exists in in the world of star wars yeah okay so that's two did i say it right. twice there it's okay so mm-hmm. I, I won't say it again i don't, I don't know how many but, more we have a lot <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know how many <laughs> f words we got left yeah. to go with um but you know again I, I'm, I'm glad they made that change i think it, it still hits home the the poignancy of of her speech and it is to 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 resist to fight to stand up against this this 
tyranny and and just you know you know look out for one another and that's what matters and the empire does not want to see that for you so you know again this is the moment that we see ferrix really embrace that that manifesto and, and become the first instance of, of a rebellion that's resisting the empire i mean i think this this speech paired with that like hauntingly beautiful funeral dirge they played yes. like leading up to it that starts off be very mournful and reminiscent of you know typical funeral songs but by the end it has such a a rallying force as they march towards this wall of of the empire it's just so, such a powerful moment like you said this show could be called speeches and <laughs> i don't think you could you i'd enjoy it if it was just the speeches because the moments that lead up to these speeches and that inspire them to say these things are so so incredible when paired together with the final product. It's ah, breathtaking. It was even really emotional to hear the the like marching band, if you want to call them that, get ready. Like mm-hmm. just hearing them kind of clear their instruments, check their notes, and like make sure everything was good was getting me emotional. So to watch them walk and to see visual, physical reactions to what's about to happen dependent on what character you're paying attention to is so interesting and i i cannot talk about these performances enough like cast wide i don't think there's a weak link yeah it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable even people who have like one line here or there Mm -hmm. are fantastic in the show it's unbelievable absolutely and i think i'd I, that's what I was saying, though. That's I'd want to be one of those instruments that you were talking about. They're blo- they're, <laughs> they're blowing the spit out of me, you know, before they start marching. Uh, well, okay, listen, why'd you take it there, Megan? Um, they're blowing so- <laughs> the Star Wars jazz out of There you go. The Star Wars, we'll just say jazz because I don't know how many times we can say that other word before we get <laughs> demonetized or whatever. Um, but again, just really quickly, the way that she compares the Empire to Rust the slow forming that slowly eats away at whatever it's covering. And by the time you decide to do anything about it, it's usually too late. Um, But then kind of seeing how, how she sort of looks at the empire, but then also getting that flashback with Clem and seeing how he views the empire. And you sort of see how those two things sort of culminate in Cassian. And it's interesting because we almost get a Cassian that is very much formed by his adopted father near the beginning of the series. And as we start to get towards the end of Cassian's life is where he starts to become more like Marva. And it's just really cool to see Mm -hmm. those two sort of, uh, you know, ideals in his head and how he, that, that, how it, how it forms his character. I don't know. Yeah, really exactly. Cool. It's called Andor for a reason. So right. It's, not speeches. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but not Cassian either. Yeah, there yeah, we exactly. go. Not Ca- oh, yeah. Hey. It's their name. It's their last name, right? We got so. it. We got it. Um, all right. Well, let's keep let's keep going here. Uh, the crowd erupts into a riot. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. Uh, and the end of Marva's message, a situation which quickly escalates uh, once Wilman throws the explosive device that he was shown earlier in the episode building uh, towards the troopers. It sets off an entire series of explosions shrouding the streets in smoke. Cinta kills Corey. Uh, I'm, these are named Corey's like I don't know who that guy is anyway Cinta kills him <laughs> in a quiet alleyway in the midst of the chaos uh, and Cyril narrowly manages to save a frantic and terrified Dedra from the crowd and I have to say something that made me a little sad not with what happened to Dedra but the odd romantic chemistry between Dedra <laughs> and Cyril I don't I don't want them to be a thing I don't want them to be a thing at all 
You know what's so funny? I have a note written down saying, who else wanted Cyril and Dedra to just start doing it? <laughs> Well, that's I, I think I think that was a bit like I don't know if that was tongue in cheek, like oh, trying geez. to hint at it. I'm obviously he's a little, glad they didn't. Yeah, no, but, but I, I think I think what she's going to realize, too, is that she can use him, but mm. she's going to use him and he's he will die at some point. Um, but I, I feel like in that moment, I was like, OK, they're going to be a big deal in season two, not as a relationship. No, but as going after after he wants it I don't to think be, so. If anything, he it'll be a it fake be. one. Exactly. She'll just oh, okay. use his Where feelings. Where she's yeah. using him. Exactly. Oof. That's what I think. Like, I think, you know, again, if they go full romantic with it, I don't think that the show needs it. I and I think work. I think you have to sell the idea that what Cyril is really attracted to is her, how professional is her, her sense of and leadership. And her power. Yeah, yeah, and her dominance. Oh. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> At least you don't want to. Nate will be the bookend to that story. Jeez, let me tell you that. <laughs> come on, dude! I don't want to see more. Like, I was at a point in this episode where I'm like, I don't want sexual tension between space Nazis. Like, I don't I want know. that. Yeah, yeah happening exactly. on screen. Like, yeah, exactly. I just couldn't yeah. do I mean, it. To be fair, it's not comfortable. Like sexual tension. No, like, like, no. Cyril is mad stalker yeah. vibes. Like his answer to is like, how? But how? He's just like, you were in danger. He's just trying to play these cards to be like, I'm the good guy. I'm here. I'm your hero type. Yeah. He's like, no. Yeah, he's you're weird. A creep who followed her to a random planet. This is yeah. Mm-hmm. He's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. His character throughout obviously has mommy issues. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's part of the reason why he's so attracted to Deirdre. I'm I'm hoping that in season two with his character, they at least try to do something about his sense to strive for power. Very. Um, uh, Ramsey Bolton from from Game of Thrones. Take that character on a journey to show, you know, how he is trying to carve his own sense of power and dominance and use maybe even use Deirdre. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I think that yeah. there's something there that that doesn't need to be romantic. If they go romantic, I think that'll throw everything off. Say one thing. It. Cheapen thing. it. Yes. I, I do like Kyle Solar quite a bit. We did have a chance to interview yes. both uh, Kyle Solar uh, and uh, Denise Gulf, who play uh, Cyril and Dedra. Um I think maybe maybe not so much for for Dedra, but I think for Cyril, I still think he can be redeemed. I think so far, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the only character that hasn't done something that we're like, that is abhorrent, that is terrible. Sure, his ideals right now align with the Empire, and he very much feels that way, but to your point, Justin, if he gets into a relationship, or or he thinks he's in a relationship, rather, <laughs> with with Dedra, and then she does something, I could totally see him just flipping sides, just being like, could, well, nothing I believed yeah. for so long is real, so now I'm I'm on the rebellion side. I could totally see them pulling that with his character. I go I go with I go with, with Meg. I think that still cheapens it, though. Like, really? it still draws in like this cheesy soap opera romantic drama where it's like you used me so i'm gonna f- you over oh you justin I mean? like, no I'm, we're demonetized oh, sorry, now yeah. thanks a lot you're i'll bleep, bleep it out i'll bleep it <laughs> out. it's okay. like a little bit predictable if you do that exactly. as well i yeah. guess i think i think it would be what would be interesting is that she thinks that he's using her um, maybe he's smarter than she thinks exactly Whoa. yeah you know what i mean like maybe maybe she's like oh i'm using him and he's doing what i want but at the same time he's doing what he needs to do to advance so he could be like ha ha treachery <laughs> still a soap opera but i could still, yeah, exactly. but I could still see a mustache it, i could still time. see it being a moment where we're like well he's still a bad guy but he's he's doing something that messes her plan up that still benefits cassian himself. like i could still see oh, okay. and himself but still benefits cassian in a way uh, as kind of like a well just like you a know, mole like a mole we're talking about how you know just 
uh, Cyril and Dedra, but I mean, the whole Imperial side, just the way that they collapse under this immediate, like this rebellion, oh, dude. they're armed oh, with 100%. guns and riot shields and they're still getting their butts trounced by a bunch of people with bricks because <laughs> they're scared just whatever they have on hand like it's, it's crazy to again just they depict how powerless the empire truly is once they're faced with opposition it's yeah. so good yeah and 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 it's it really does highlight what um as as nate you were mentioning the the sense of arrogance that the empire has and mm-hmm. when they retaliate and save themselves you can see them reacting in fear so yeah it's it's clear that the empire doesn't got their shit together i would also just like to give a quick shout out to the clock drum tower guy oh, dude. for kicking a stormtrooper <laughs> off the tower what's he, his name the time display he's called or? the time grappler okay grappler. which oh. is yeah. freaking awesome and the fact <laughs> that he does a this is sparta kick to this this <laughs> This guy was amazing. It. It's literally in my living room. <laughs> I just want him to come back. Just have him come back and have him have a have a dialogue, or, or maybe he's mute. He doesn't talk at all, and he's like, I think I, that would he be- only talks through using his his drums, his drums, or whatever. I mean. I mean, I just like to think about how out of breath that one stormtrooper is. Like, okay, oh god, I'm finally up here. Oh, what? Kicked off the side? Like, he just had to go up this massive spiral oh. staircase only to get booted off. I feel bad for him. Brutal. Brutal. Okay, let's uh, let's keep feeling bad for one of these characters here. Cassian finds Bix, uh, and she is not herself. Dazed and scared, she initially doesn't want to leave with him because she's afraid uh, that she says they will be angry, uh, which is just like to think where Bix comes from to that yeah, moment where she's just yeah. completely broken. Cassian manages to get her onto a ship with Brazo, Jez, uh, Wilmon, and B2 Emo, but unfortunately, he's not coming with them. He has something else he needs to do. So I thought it was so sad when Bix was like, Marva was here. Like she listened to the speech. She felt her presence in that moment. And she was so out of it. Um, I want to know, how do you think this torture is going to affect Bix going forward? I mean, at first, I was wondering if that maybe awoke some latent force stuff in her. Because the way she said she doesn't want to go. And then the bombs go off. And then she's willing to leave. I'm wondering if she could see, you know, danger coming. And the fact that later on, I mean, in the scene when they're on the ship, she's like, Cassian will find us. I'm wondering if there's maybe something that the trauma unlocked and maybe because she doesn't think the same way anymore that she's using more of her brain or something. I don't know. It was, I thought it was very odd the second watch that she didn't want to leave until after the bombs went off. I I mean, if they were going out the front door there or trying to get on the street, they would have been affected by that blast for sure. I, I took it as as she was sort of in a trance. It's clear that they're using some sort of drug or narcotic. She was mm. up. She's been tortured. Damn it, again. Another beat. Um, and uh, <laughs> and um, I think that, I think with the explosion, it kind of woke her up, right? It, it made her realize, oh my God, like, but she was still weak. It's all sort of like wearing off. But yeah, I, I think that it's going to affect her 100%. Mm-hmm. To see where she came from and to see in that moment how much they broke her in that interrogation process. Um, it'll be interesting to see how what sort of trauma she'll she'll carry after and how that'll affect her 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 decision making. I, I mean, we're talking about how they may have broken her, but I think they only really broke her mind or stuff like that. Because yep. it seems like they're still looking for information. So despite mm-hmm. all the torture that she's suffered and went through and stuff like that, she still managed Correct. to keep she didn't give any information stuff close to her yeah. chest. So like yeah. Despite the fact that it just goes to show how strong her character is, mm-hmm. the fact that oh, she's yeah. willing to put up with so much and still 
keep those cards close to the chest because she cares about the people involved. It's just yeah. uh, brilliant performances. Again, we keep saying that, but this the show, this cast, five stars all around in terms of performances. <laughs> and if you want 100%. to check out our interview with Adria Arjona, uh, we did have a chance, Justin had a chance to talk to her. Um, and she was in much better spirits than she was in this scene, for sure. <laughs> I should yeah, hope so. For sure. Oh, before we do keep going, sorry, I just want to quickly shout out uh, Cassian very much giving... Um, deadbeat dad energy to B2 uh, in this scene like like B2's like you always say that and he's just like he's like no but you always pull through little buddy and it's just like dude like just just Cassian, screw you yeah d- seriously dude take take B2 with you I don't care find a way to to bring B- this chunky little droid on these stealth missions I don't know how it'll work but um, but yeah no I was just that made me really sad so um, let's keep going here. Luthen uh, <laughs> escapes from the clamor in town and makes his way back to his ship. But once he boards, he realizes he's not alone. Cassian is standing there waiting for him. Cassian accuses Luthen of coming to Ferrix to kill him, which he doesn't deny. Uh, so he says he's standing there now to make it easy for him. He can either kill him or take him in. Luthen stares down at the blaster in his hands for a moment before looking up at Cassian with a smile and that was where the episode ends uh so again going back to what we discussed at the top of this episode i asked you all do you think luthan really wanted to kill him uh do you think he in this moment he still wants to kill him or do you think that he's changed his mind and has uh has maybe he has always had a bigger plan for cassian than anyone's ever realized I think his decision at this end definitely stems from the fact of like you can tell how broken cassian is he's lost Everything that's important to him, he brought the Empire to his home planet and, and left it in chaos multiple times now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Luthen's seeing this is like, oh, this is a pawn I can still use. Oh. He's, he's not going to be going against me anymore. That, that was the only thing going through my head because, again, the series has painted Luthen out to be a very gray area guy. Are we, We're not sure if he's, you know, the greatest of people. So I, I can totally see him just seeing a broken well, p- person and being like, yep, that's a tool. Yeah. It's a tool I can use easily. And I, I totally right. agree with you, Darcy, because even in the instance with the conversation he has with Saw, he makes it quite clear that they will sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed for the greater good. And if he can mm-hmm. witness and see a broken man in front of him that he can now utilize as his own tool, he respects Andor. I think he acknowledges <laughs> that Andor is talented. Um, and yeah, why not? Why not use him uh, for the greater yeah, good? He's probably happy that he doesn't have to kill him anymore. He's like, oh, he's this broken. He's still going to be of use to me. This is all coming up my way. Jeez. Yeah, because now he knows that like Cassian has nothing left to lose. So he's he'll be willing to do anything for the cause. Ah. That's so much darker than I wanted it to be. I wanted. I know, right? <laughs> I wanted it to be like the idea that Luthen's like. No, now now he's he's truly passed the test and now he's part of the rebellion <laughs> and we can be good friends now. But no, I think you're all absolutely unfortunately correct that that yes, yeah, it's just he's yeah. he's got a, a he's got another, you know, uh who what was that guy we were talking about earlier? Lino or Lin 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 Lonny? He's got another Lonnie in front of him. <laughs> I got to it eventually, Justin. Don't look at me like that. Um so so he's got another Lonnie in front of him, so he's you know 
He's he's happy about that, which is super dark. Um, we get a post credit scene for the first time. Uh, it only took until the final episode to to get one. Um, you know, I think all uh, Marvel and Star Wars have a lot of good crossover. Um, so there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of fans who are always just like, "There's got to be an after credit scene." Um, so during the post credit scene, we see an army of droids carrying and installing the large components that Cassian and the other prisoners were assembling uh, in the prison on Narkina Five, and as the shot pans out we see that they were contributing to the construction of the death star but not just the death star the the key components to the structural integrity of the panels that comprise the planet killing super laser (laughs) uh which is absolutely insane just to think that like just that's again when you think the empire can't go darker they find a way to go darker uh i want to ask how gratifying was it that you know it was totally fan service to just sort of give us like you all assumed correctly you're all right um but what do you think of this look at the death star in this moment so i was one of those people who didn't assume there was going to be an end credit scene. Don't know why. Just like went about my day. I let the credits roll mm-hmm. and listened to the music. And then all of a sudden I heard that like drilling or the, the um, oh my God. Welding. Welding, thank you. <laughs> and was like, wait, what's going on? And I walked out into my living room and watched that unfold and was like chills from the top of my head <laughs> yeah. to the bottom of my feet. And... The like cinematic picture at the end, the way oh, they rotated the Death Star and the, Just the parts. Oh. oh my god! Like so I want that good. as my desktop background. <laughs> <laughs> it was so beautiful and like mm-hmm. haunting. Mm-hmm. I know Kevin was really stoked because I mean, in, in, in a previous watch club, he was like, "It's got to be the Death Star." So he was <laughs> so excited to see that pay off, and was just like, "Yes, I was right about one thing." I, he loves when that happens, but yeah, like you were saying, Meg, that one shot was so like picturesque, the blown up view and everything like that. Just oh, so yeah. good, such a such a rewarding payoff to you know get that answer that we weren't really sure if it was if they were even going to address it, but oh. So so well done. Yeah, I, I knew that they had to address it because that whole side mission that that Andor goes on in prison, it was important for a multitude of reasons other than mm-hmm. just him spending X amount of time there and getting out, right? And all of that had to be done around the components. And it makes sense why the Empire is just keeping them. And it, it makes sense why they're just rotating them. They're not getting out. They're just going to continue to do this. It's manual labor. And if they don't fall in line, they're going to die, right? So all four the greater good right with air quotes around it so it's really crazy that even throughout this conversation that's kind of the the aspect that everyone's looking at their own cause as for the greater good the rebellion Mm -hmm. looks at it as the greater good the empire looks at it as the greater good you know what i mean like it's it's kind of what binds uh, these two together the greater good Mm -hmm. um that brings us to our prediction segment for what we think will be revealed in the future of this series and its characters going into, I guess in this case, the second season. Uh, So folks, now that the season is over, do you have any big ideas on what could happen next? And again, uh, for this series prediction segment, we call it This Many Bothans Died to Bring Us This Information. So you'll start off by telling me how many Bothans died to bring you this information. Meg, why don't you kick us off? I'm going to start off by saying a single 
Bothan <laughs> died for this information um, because I don't have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, I am really just intrigued to see where they go. I would obviously love a little less politics, but I know that's just not going to happen with Star Wars. Um, I think I'm interested to see how Cassian ended up with the droid he's in in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll get that storyline. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's sure. that's what I'm waiting for. I hope that happens sooner rather than later in that season. Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. apparently that is in a comic book uh, already. So they could adapt oh. and pull from it. They did that, you know, with Mando, they showed us some Black Crescenton and, and sort of followed along mm-hmm. there. And I know they're probably not going to want to break the the uh the the canon necessarily but they could literally just pull from the pages of that comic book to give us those moments um it'll be interesting to see how they do that because i definitely think we need k2so in this show even 100%. just for a little bit if we, oh, yeah. if we get a chance i think it's going to be pretty obvious to see see him pop up because i feel like in my prediction segment i feel like three bothans die to, to bring us this but i feel like he's definitely going to be taking his his knowledge of this prison and what he was building there to the to Luthen and being like we need to figure out what they're what they're building why are we why was so many resources being devoted to this thing and that clearly leads him on the route that would take us into Rogue One which which season two following the four years leading into that will give us a lot of you know breaking and entering you know Cassian being Cassian getting in and out of these imperial places uh, bases to bring the information to the rebellion and kind of piece together what the Death Star is because again I feel like that's what the focus of of the next season will be is them discovering what this giant threat out in the galaxy is Hmm. yes I will say three Bothans died to give me this information um a hundred percent. I agree with Darcy. I think that the intent of what we saw with that whole side mission was far more important to set up for what we're going to see in season two. And that is the unraveling of this great weapon. And I don't think it, the information is just going to come from Cassian. I think it's going to come from all parties that are mm-hmm. that we've already seen throughout the rest of the, the series. Um, you know, I think ISB is going to play a huge part in unraveling this mystery. Maybe they're in the dark about it. Maybe they don't know about it yet. Do you know what I mean? And- a lot of them, a lot of them are because Thrawn's half of Thrawn's story is figuring out what all these resources are going towards while he's trying to pitch his own yeah. little tie defender program. Right. So right. Yeah. There, if we see Thrawn, we'll we'll definitely get again that kind of unraveling from his side. Which I think. Is wicked. I think it would still be great to introduce Thrawn in season two. They've they've definitely laid the groundwork as as Meg said that this series is very political it's very mm-hmm. driven in that aspect and i think that thrawn is kind of the one that marries both of that he's he is that that fantasy side of what we love about star wars but he also has a rich background in, in politics and, and i think that this is a great way to kind of introduce who he is in in the live action even if it's just for a little bit and then kind mm-hmm. of carry it off so who knows but i 100 percent agree that the the next the next season is very much going to be them unraveling the mystery because where we find Cassian at the beginning of Rogue One he's getting confirmation that that what they think is going on is going on L- literally the next scene in Rogue One after he has that moment with the the dude that's the informant they're interrogating Jyn Arso about her father and mm-hmm. stuff like that so who knows maybe we're gonna see Mad Mickelson Mad Mickelson come come up and Galen or so yeah that would be great like, well listen let yeah. me before you take all my predictions everyone um let oh, me okay. just say <laughs> that you know we're at the end of the season here I don't know if I'm gonna reuse this prediction segment for the, for 
for the next season. So I'm just going to say <laughs> every Bothan died to bring me wow. this information because mostly because I want to see these things actually happen. Uh, and I think that their sacrifice is necessary. It's for the greater good. For the greater good. Got me sounding like Luthan <laughs> Rail out here. Um, I really think we're going to see Mon Mothma and her family struggle to the point where she has to abandon them. I think we're going to see a lot more of these additional characters dying off as well. Um, whether it be for the greater good or not is going to be interesting uh, to see how many of them start to re- sort of recognize that, you know, what, what, what they consider the greater good to actually be. I think that's going to be a really sort of, uh, it, it, was, it came up so many times in this season. I think as we do these time jumps going forward, we're going to start to see the degradation of what they mm-hmm. think that means uh, and see how that changes. And I think it ultimately that change in mindset will ultimately be uh, Luthen's undoing. I think Luthen will absolutely die before the season is out. Um, mm-hmm. I do think Cassian's sister is going to play a bigger role in this series. Uh, I know Marvel was like, yo, don't even expect your sister to be alive, okay, bro? She's totally dead. Um, but I think she absolutely is uh, alive. That's why this whole thing kicked off. Um, and I think it would be awesome if not only is she alive, but she's involved with the Empire. I think it would be really, really intriguing just to see that sort of juxtaposition. She's, she believes some things that they're doing are right. Maybe she's fighting for a certain aspect of it. Um, who knows? Who knows what goes on? Um, I do think we're going to get a couple of characters from... Uh, I have here... Uh, I think we're going to get a couple of characters from Rogue One in this show. Please, Justin, don't mm. steal this prediction. Uh, and uh, I do believe <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen... Uh, as well as Ben Mendelsohn, uh, I think Galen or so, yes. right, Krennic. and Orson yeah. Krennic. I think both of them would work so well within the structure of the show. Oh, yes. You've got Galen having direct contact with Luthen, right, as a spy on the inside. And then you have Krennic as a new obstacle for Dedra Miro would be awesome would be so cool hopefully they're not too busy with all the other stuff that i know you know i think i think marvel might have ben mendelson tied up in a couple things here and there but um but lastly my biggest prediction i'm going to put it out into the universe we will see whether directly or slightly off screen admiral thrawn at the end of this show as a way to tease in his involvement in the upcoming live action series is i i think I know that those shows take place much farther away than this one, but I think this show, this episode, has proven to us that they're not above giving us a hype stinger at the end. And I think that's exactly where you place Mm -hmm. a Thrawn. You put the back of his neck or whatever you want to do, looking out into space as the hype stinger after the credits to say Thrawn will return. (laughs) I mean... Technically, it'd have to be the hype stinger after the credits of like the halfway point because by the time of two years before uh, the Battle of Yavin, that's when he gets teleported uh, off into yes. hyperspace with. with uh, that's why I think he uh, could show Ezra up. and the gang. So he'd be seeing. We'd see him okay. early if we see him yes. at all. And that's that's why I think his introduction could happen like within like you know the episodes you know four to to six or even you know seven to to nine. Right. Like you could have him sort of involved towards the tail end of of all of this. But like Darcy was saying, like he wants to unravel what they're working on as well. So who knows if if he we come into contact with him as as one of the characters that's trying to figure out what 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 the Empire is working on. Well, and I know the timeline is totally different, but he was already mentioned in the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm, Because they were looking for him. He's still alive. 
Yeah. He's still, yeah, he's alive, still alive, but but we just don't and know so where he is. is. Oh, yeah. 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 I hear you. He's yeah. in deep space with those but whales is, and Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think he'll show up in Andor season two before he shows up in Ahsoka? I, it'd be an interesting way to introduce the character and yeah. where he came from because his whole analytical mind is what makes him so strong. So to see him you know, figure out how the Death Star is being built from, again, in the books, he gets very little information. He just notices, oh, they're mining a lot of this resource and then puts two and two together. Oh, he can only be making a great weapon. Oh, with all this stuff. And it's, just, it's how he puts the stuff together is so incredible. It'd be really cool to get an, uh, an insight into that before we see him wherever he is yeah. you know, outside of the Empire. You know what? Yeah. Just, just give me like one moment where yeah, like one Deidre has to go to his like office or something like that. You just see his legs. He's interrogating He's wearing her. like shorts and you just oh, see Oh no, but like he's interrogating <laughs> Or he gives her the one piece angle. of information she was missing. Yeah. Exactly. Like, there you go. He she he provides her with information. Mm-hmm. Like that's all we would really need. Like maybe we're overcomplicating mm-hmm. it by saying he's in three episodes. Maybe it's like one or two minutes just to establish the fact that he exists in this timeline and he is a player because there's so much in and around this that feels like it could relate back to Thrawn and it's like just just something just do it right it's that's, just mm-hmm. like that's me being greedy silhouette. as a fan yeah. A back silhouette yeah. and she's walked into his office to ask a question and you just get like that side head turn mm-hmm. and his like low, horrible That sounds like voice. the introduction <laughs> of Thanos. The, and... the glowing red eyes <laughs> yeah. and like a sh- coming out of the shadow type thing. Yeah. yeah. And he's played by Lars Mikkelsen. I'm just saying. He will be. He will would be. be amazing. Let's mm-hmm. go. Uh, anyways, we are we are starting to get off the Luthan rails here. Uh, so let's get <laughs> to our final thoughts and score. Um, we're going to give our overall impressions of all three episodes, uh, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five funeral bricks. Uh, and then at the end, I would love your score for the entire season on a scale of one to five of B2 Emo's Little Tears. Uh, so Megan, why don't you kick us off? For these three episodes, there was a lot of moments. Like I said, I'm not super into the politics part of, um, Star Wars. There were a lot of moments where I sort of zoned out (laughs) a lot of like, you know, chats where I've heard the story already. I've heard this part of it. I didn't connect with Mon Mothma as much as I thought I would Mm -hmm. in this show. I think... Um, I was really excited to see her because I'm such a huge animated series and Rebels fan, but it just didn't click for me. Um, However, the like slow build of this show was finalized in these three episodes really, really well. So I personally will be giving this a 3.5 out of 5 funeral bricks just because of my own personal likes and distastes and I think I've realized espionage is not my favorite genre of film and television politics not my favorite thing however the performances are absolutely untouchable the shots and the cinematography is so beautiful and this show out of every single I'll say any Disney plus show that has aired in the last two years this has the best writing I've ever seen in mm-hmm. a Disney Plus show, um, Star Wars, Marvel, all of it. Um, so, and I also think that it was a great prequel to, in my opinion, one of the best Star Wars movies. Hmm. So, I'm going to give, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give the entire series a 4.5 out of 5 B2 emo t 
tears. Oh. I want none of those tears, <laughs> but <laughs> listen, listen, I'm 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 dark like the Empire. I'm gonna make you think about him crying. <laughs> Justin, your uh, overall thoughts and final scores. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think for these three last three episodes, yeah, there there was a lot going on. Meg's not not wrong about that. I think there was a lot to kind of follow, but as as she mentioned it's part of this espionage genre it's it's you know the politics it's it's understanding what's going on in the background and while it wasn't necessarily like i, I didn't understand it all what i was understanding what was happening in front of me with the character dynamics it, again as we've called out the speeches the endless amount of speeches in these last three episodes were so powerful and they really do show you the the different characters and their motives and intentions incredibly written uh for for the last three episodes um but yeah they, there might have been a little bit more fluff so what i would say is for these three episodes i'd give it four out of five uh funeral bricks but for the overall season this is flawless star wars this is this is star wars that is freed from the shackles of of the box of the star wars genre it's less fantasy it is more real it's more personal it's incredibly emotive um, I love the idea that we're focusing more on the people, what drove the rebellion uh, forward, um, and not necessarily just d the Jedi and the Sith. It's it's this idea of people in the galaxy that are trying to live, and this show has masterfully, like f from start to finish, just just made me care for every single person. And it 100% comes down to fantastic writing, uh, really thorough writing, and incredible performances from an outstanding cast everyone knew their roles and knew what they needed to do and knew how to act without having to necessarily output it through lines it was the emotion it was the belief that they were fighting for a cause so it was it's like perfect flawless star wars in my opinion this this series is a solid five out of five uh emo, te emo tears b2 emo tears <laughs> b2 emo tears, yeah. emo tears yeah. whatever b2 emo tears yeah. it is it is <laughs> <laughs> it is it is what I want for the future of Star Wars. It is the best realization of what Star Wars could be if you start to think of it outside of of what everyone thinks is conventional Star Wars. And I think yeah, you know, Meg, you said it. Rogue One is probably one of the better movies of the Star Wars franchise that have been released, but I don't think it was as appreciated as it is now. Mm -hmm. Especially with Absolutely. this prequel series. With this series, I have a, a like I I liked Rogue One, don't get me wrong, but when it came out in the pool of, of Star Wars canon, it didn't fit. It, it almost felt reactionary too early. What if this series started things off? What if this series gave us a little bit more to digest about Star Wars taking a new direction? There's a lot of questions in that because, you know, you, you're spending more time with the series. Maybe you can get hooked to that a little bit more and start to do it. But we've come a long way with Star Wars that this feels refreshing. So that's 100 percent. Five out of five. Darcy, how about yourself? I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny that you guys were saying that there were parts that you were uh, kind of confusing and taking you out of it because I watched this series with my mom, usually on a second watch with her because I, we, we are lucky enough to get it a bit early in, on, uh, in some cases. But she loves this series so much because, yes, it's a lot to pay attention to and, and to, to digest, but once you get to this final three-episode arc, so many things are paying off and you're understanding so many reasons why these characters are doing what they're doing that she's like, she loves it. She calls it her favorite Star Wars series, uh, you know, of the live yeah. action stuff so far, even liking it more than the, the you know, the, the pre, uh, sorry, sequel trilogy, which a lot of people probably agree with. And she, again, the fact that she's able to understand everything going on just shows how good the writing is, that everything you need to know is there and is, is told in a way that is... Uh, easy to understand if you take the time to kind of look a bit further into it and it's so rewarding again these three episodes 
tie off so many things and give us so many different aspects of Star Wars that we know and love from the grand spectacle to these crazy plots and to these just awesome uh, star fights. There are so many moments from these three episodes that are stand out and are just classic Star Wars to me. And I, I loved it. So yeah, definitely a strong five out of five funeral bricks for this, these final three episodes, because they do such a good job of, of rewarding this, the slow burn that the show was uh, in you know, the show as a whole, I think, you know, is what we want Star Wars to be going forward, just having more depth than just a guy with a lightsaber fighting, you know, a great evil or whatever. This is true storytelling down to the people and the characters and performances. So overall, I am blown away by this and I can't wait for more Star Wars in this vein. So another strong five out of five B2 emo tears for me. Yeah. Yeah, y'all said it. Uh, these three episodes were fantastic. Uh, again, it, it just... Uh, book ending poetry all the words all the speeches just speeches on speeches with these last three episodes um so yeah five out of five funeral bricks this series uh it kind of took a while to to get to a place where i was freaking out like i think at first i was a little wary of its structure uh the fact that some of the episodes especially the first two felt like they kind of just ended at random times and i wasn't at that moment i was kind of i remember even calling justin because we got them like it felt like a year ago by now, but it was like <laughs> early August or whatever. It was it was when the show was supposed to happen, and then it got delayed, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, talking to you about this, and like I don't know how I feel about the pacing, but then as soon as episode three ended, it clicked for me that this show was going to be special and that it was going to play out in three episode arcs. Uh, and honestly, watching them three episodes at a time is the right way to do it. Um, I think if mm-hmm. I was to ever rewatch this season, that's how I would want to sort of consume it is in three episode chunks. The cast, mm-hmm. Diego Luna picked up Cassian perfectly. Stellar Skarsgård was phenomenal. Um, Adria Arjona uh, like, just gave so much, especially in those final moments. Um, Denise Goff was a character that I kept going back and forth on, and that has so much to do with her ability to play this character that at times you kind of do want to root for. I know early on I was like, I was like, yeah, like, yeah, you know, get it, get it. You, you, you do you. Like, you know, you can, you don't have to just be a person in the background, but then you realize how evil she is. And then you're just like, oh no, yeah, trample her, get, you know, stomp on her head. <laughs> um, and then Genevieve O'Reilly, again, as we've been saying, just a scene stealer, the way she emotes. And then Andy Circus is an incredible surprise that I don't think any of us even could have possibly anticipated. We're like, oh, Andy Circus is here. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but something we didn't quite talk about with these last three episodes, Nicholas Bertel. God bless Nicholas Bratel. The music in this show is so... So Blade Runner. So good. So Blade Runner. So, but it fits the narrative so well in the fa- in the way that even the, the composition over time, like I can't wait to listen to the actual score because mm-hmm. you, can, you can literally hear it building and building in these three-act yes. structures. And, oh God, and yeah. we, 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 especially in episode six, the heist score, it rivals... Jakino's Rogue One score for me, which is probably one of my favorite scores of Star Wars, which is crazy considering the fact that the other scores are done by John freaking Williams. Um, so it's just incredible that the music from all these composers, you know, everyone talks about Ludwig. Um, you know, I think it's it's awesome. The music in Star Wars, I don't think anyone can complain Stellar. about the music in Star Wars. Just saying. Oh, God. Um, the way the show was able to give so much more context to the effects the Empire can have on the culture and the depths that they took with how dark they got. Like, 
the way they could they could take this universe that we know and add so many layers while flipping it on its head was perfect. And I was shocked with how mature this story was. And I'm so happy that this show proves that we can get stories like this set in a galaxy far, far away. Like, we can get stories. Yes, we got Star Wars stuff for kids. That's not going away. We're going to continue to get more of that. We're getting an animated droid series. That's going to keep happening. We're going to get little Grogu scenes in the future. But the fact that we can still... <laughs> Megan's freaking out. The fact that we can still get... <laughs> This mature look at Star Wars and this dark look at Star Wars that rivals something like a Game of Thrones is awesome. And it's what I've been wanting and what a lot of Star Wars fans have been wanting for a really long time. Lastly, yeah. I know some people like to think that the animated content or these Disney Plus live action shows can be skipped. And while I completely disagree with those thoughts, this is must-see Star Wars. And it's some of the best Star Wars we've ever gotten. I'm excited for season two. And I can't wait to see how they handle the time jumps. I'm giving this fourth and final act of this season five out of five B2 emos, little tears. All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Watch Club for Andor, the finale. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you enjoyed this entire Watch Club. If you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, uh, well, let me just say, fight the Empire to Justin to, to encourage him to tell you how you can reach us. You could have, you could have just thrown me a brick, dude. Oh, Jeez. sorry. Yeah, you okay. I'll wait. toss you a, yeah, a, a funeral brick. <laughs> well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's we are geekcentric at gmail.com. And they can reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. And if you enjoyed this watch club, guess what, everyone? Guess what? You have been listening to the four voices on this episode that are going to be bringing you <laughs> your next watch club. That's right. The batches are back in town uh, coming soon in January, which is crazy to think of how close we are for season two of The Bad Batch. And we are going to be bringing you weekly watch club breakdowns for the episodes that are great, for the episodes that are not so great. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I just They're cannot, all great. Okay, I, I cannot wait to read our TK numbers <laughs> yet again uh, on this podcast. I, I just I loved season one so much uh, and getting to talk about it with you folks in particular was awesome so we're gonna be doing that again come january uh but for now keep in mind we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest movies and shows out now like our recent spoiler free review for willow glass onion a knives out story strange world slumberland and tales of the jedi and we have a ton of interviews uh like the interviews that i mentioned earlier with some of the cast of this show and our most recent interview with the director and cast of willow uh, which is another Lucasfilm project that we all really enjoyed. So subscribe both on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric and on your podcast service of choice. Give those episodes a, a watch, a listen, a like. Ring the bell like a time grappler uh, and leave a five-star <laughs> review if you don't mind. Justin, Darcy, Megan, thank you so much for joining me for this final Watch Club for Andor. And as we say, until next season, rebellions, rebellions are, are built, built on hope. hope.